All right. The rest of us, let's open up to Revelation chapter 13. As uh, Fred mentioned just a little bit ago, I have this yellow sheet in the back, and it's your opportunity. Uh, this summer, I want to change things up a little bit, uh, do some topical preaching throughout the summer, and then we'll jump back into a book maybe afterwards. I don't know. We'll just pray, pray about it and see what the Lord does. But if there are certain issues that you'd like to see addressed, not how I talk or how long I talk, Certain issues that you'd like to see addressed, such as, you know, I, I wrote some down on here, uh, angels in the Bible, living with pain, overcoming fear, raising godly children, uh, creation and evolution, how to share my faith, why the Raiders will never enter the kingdom of heaven, and Doug said, amen, <laughs> I'm just playing with you, why the Seahawks and the Chargers will probably never win a Super Bowl, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Why they will? We gotta have faith, right? How we got our Bible? Should I be baptized? How many of you have not been baptized? I want to have a baptism this summer, amen. Let's baptize. Let's sink them. Hold them down a little longer. Get all the sin out. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, everybody. Anyways, uh, Revelation. We've been going through here, and it's been pretty intense. Revelation simply just means the apocalypse, the unveiling, taking off the wraps. So what is it that is being revealed in Revelation? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, as we read in verse 1. And as I've been saying every single week, just to remind us of how to understand this book, is the key verse is in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. And this is where the angel told him to write down what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. And so those are the three divisions of the book. Chapter 1 is what he saw. A vision of Christ. What is now is the church age, chapters 2 and 3. We've already been through that. And I, and, I, and I highly suggest that we as a body continue to read through Revelation chapter 2 and 3. This is Jesus talking to the church. Am I the church? Are you the church? Amen. Are there some things that we do well? Yes. Are there some things we got to change? Amen. Each of us, right? I love you, but this is what I have against you. Let's work on this. Okay, so chapters 2 and 3. Then it changes in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, and now the things that are going to happen in the future. Metatauta is the word in case you need to know that. In the future, the things that will take place later, after these things. And I believe it is at, at chapter 4, verse 1, that the church is, boom, out of here. And all of a sudden, now the last things start to happen, dealing with the nation of Israel again, and the wrath of God poured out upon the earth for unrepentant men. But during this time, as we've been learning, there's going to be great opportunities for people to come to Christ. There's going to be these 144,000 who are sealed. And they're going to be preaching the everlasting gospel. People are going to be coming to Christ in droves. There'll be the two witnesses that we learned about who will you know, do all these amazing miracles and all this type of stuff, and anybody who comes against them, they'll call down fire and toast them. Pretty amazing stuff during this seven-year period called the Tribulation, the Great Tribulation is the last three and a half years of it. Time of God's wrath. It's a time spoken of in Scripture more of any other time in the Bible. Specifically, it's talked about over and over and over and over again. The Day of the Lord. Incredible times when things will be poured out from heaven that we don't want to see on our worst enemies. Yet, God is going to pour it out for those who reject Jesus Christ. And so, 
as we read here in chapter 13, verse 1, we're introduced to two more characters. In chapter 12, we are introduced to two characters. One was the woman who was Israel, who had a child. This was the Messiah. And then there was this dragon that was waiting right before it was going to give birth and tried to take it, tried to kill it, right? This dragon is Satan. And now we're introduced to his two little sidekicks here, the two beasts that come from the sea and from the earth. And so Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 says, The dragon stood on the, on the shore of the sea. And let's just read through this, this whole bit of scripture here so we get a, a, a good idea of what it's talking about. And then we'll go back, okay? And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns. And seven heads with ten crowns on his horn, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his power, and his throne, and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but that fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished, and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon. Because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who's like the beast? Who can make war with him? Verse 5, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. Well, there it is again, three and a half years. He opened his mouth to blaspheme. And to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who, will, who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. Now yeah, we'll get there in a little bit. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth have, have not, who have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the uh, creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone goes into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Verse 11, Then I saw another beast. So this is a second beast. Coming out of the earth, not out of the sea, out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight or wisdom, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. Now, 
it's kind of interesting. I mean, you could people don't even know anything about this chapter, but they definitely know 666, right? <laughs> Whose number is that, you know? And so we're going to get into that right now. The dragon that stood on the seashore. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. You know, the sea, uh, this word for beast means a wild beast, crazy beast. And the sea is the sea of people. Is often, is often in other parts of the scripture, it talks about this. The sea, the multitudes of the nations. And this beast is coming out of the multitudes of the nations. And it had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horn. What in the world does all this mean? The beast here, I think we have a really good idea. If you flip over to Daniel chapter 7 and read that entire chapter in two minutes, you'll be able to have a full under, fuller understanding of this creature. Daniel has a vision of these four beasts in Daniel chapter 7. And these four beasts, the first one that was described uh, was looking like a leopard, and the second one was like a bear, and the third one was like a lion. And the fourth was a mixture of them all, and it was more fiercer than all of them. And Daniel was just freaked out, and he wanted to know more about this, this creature. He goes, what is this thing, number four? You can kind of recognize these other ones, but this is like a mutant. It's got all these things put together. It has the same attributes. It's a mixture of all the three before. Ten horns, seven heads, ten crowns. So we know from Daniel 7, and we read Revelation 17, and we find all these other verses that talk about what these things mean. But this fourth beast, from Daniel chapter 7, is this beast that we're talking about right here. And as we read like sections, like I said, in Daniel chapter 7 and Revelation 17, we find out that the ten horns refer to ten kings. And the ten crowns re- represent the authority of their role. And then what about the seven heads? The seven heads uh, the beast have, uh, I'm sorry, the seven heads the beast has that have ten horns and crowns and all these things represent both kings and kingdoms. It's kind of confusing. It's like they're saying the same thing several times, the same way. The heads represent kingdoms. And many scholars link these seven heads, these seven kingdoms, with the seven super kingdoms mentioned in Daniel chapter 2 and Exodus and these other things. If you could hit the slide for a second. Uh, just uh, Oh, great. Someone can hit the lights. But anyways, uh, remember Nebuchadnezzar? He had this dream. Seven of you. Cool. Uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. Now finding which one is the fun thing. Yes. All right, anyways, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and he wanted his guys to interpret it. He said, hey, what in the world does this mean? What in the world does this mean? He saw this image. Statue had a gold head, had a silver chest and arms, and had a brass midsection and iron legs. And then those iron legs came down to feet, which were kind of like iron and clay mixed together, and then they came into ten toes. He's like, what is this stuff? And he was given the interpretation. He said, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold is you. You're awesome. And that's your kingdom. And then the next part is going to be that one will come after you. And we know from other sections of scripture what these nations are. Babylon, Persia, Greece. As we see, if anybody familiar with history, this is kind of the major uh, kingdoms of the world, one right after another. Babylon, Persia, Greece. Then we had Rome. 
And Romans, you know, got the two legs. Romans separated into two parts, the, the, the east and the west. Kind of interesting. It came down, got to these toes. Got to these feet of clay and these ten toes. And so we're trying to figure out what in the world all this means. Well, there's different interpretations of it, but those ten toes, meaning the ten nations he's talking about, the ten uh, crowns. And so many believe that this is the Roman Empire put back together. That he's talking about this beast will come out of this. Ten-nation confederation, and he will come up out of it. And so this is kind of difficult, but um, this is kind of what we go. And we have two, na- two actual, I know that's five right there, so, but we've got two more before it, which are Egypt and Assyria, major empires. And so there's seven nations of these, so these seven nations. So when you're looking at this beast, and he's got seven heads representing the nations of the earth. Throughout time that have been in opposition against God and have been used against his kingdoms, right? And so you have these uh, seven heads and then you can see how they progress starting with uh, gold that go all the way down to the bottom and they start to break apart and they got these ten factions at the bottom. And so again, it's for speculation. You can study that later. Um, you can go ahead and get off this. Go ahead and change the slide to blank. Turn up the lights, please. And so what's being described here in the first two verses of Revelation 13 is a very powerful political leader, bottom line, that will emerge from this ten-nation federation of whom most believe is the revived Roman Empire. Um, This personage embodies the kingdoms that have been in rebellion against God, and they're going to have great power and authority, as we will read in a minute. But if you remember last week, the dragon, the dragon... Not the beast. The dragon from last week was described in very similar terms, right? And so these are two different creatures. These are not the same. This is a different one than the beast. Although this person is not Satan the dragon, he embodies him and he empowers him and he emulates him. He mimics him. Just as Christ imitates the Father. Very interesting. And we're going to see a, a, an unholy trinity develop. The enemy is, cannot create, but he loves to sit there and he loves to mimic what God does and give you a, a false deal of it. And so you're going to see the development of, of Satan emulating the Father, of the Antichrist uh, mimicking the Son, and this false prophet, this third beast, mim- mimicking the Spirit. It's very interesting, the unholy trinity, uh, what many people call it. And so the second half of verse 2, the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne, and great authority. So this beast is none other than what, who we call the Antichrist, right? Now, the term Antichrist is unfortunate, because what do we all believe Antichrist means? Say it. All at once. Well, okay, say it, but what, is, what does Antichrist mean? Against Christ, right, is what we want to say? Well, that's kind of true, but in the Greek it means instead of. You know, uh, the root is, yes, it's, he's against. Now, does that mean that the Antichrist is against Christ? Yet, yeah, obviously, right? He is against Christ. Everything that is in him is against Christ. But anti means also instead of, it more, more properly in the Greek, instead of Christ. It's a replacement. Yes, this guy is bad. But which is, which is easier, going against Christ or having a Christ that's instead of? Which is more deceitful? 
pretty interesting. This guy's, we lost it, okay? This guy's going to be a slick politician. He's going to be a real slick politician. I think we lost Did you turn the amp off? Okay, we'll flip some power switches and see what happens. You might need to push the reset button on the amp if it's the amp. That's all right. <laughs> okay, once, just to let you know, very funny. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Very, very funny. Ha, ha, ha. I was teaching on uh, a class to new believers about spiritual warfare. And the moment I started to speak about Satan, the power went off in the room. So I don't know if, I mean, we didn't kind of play with it, but I mean, we have a real enemy. And he doesn't want you to hear us. And he doesn't want to hear the people that will be around during that time here in this recording. By the grace of God. Receiving the gospel. To not take the mark. And so I'll try to do it the old Jesus style and talk a little louder. My voice might go, but amen for the kingdom. Amen. (laughs) So the Antichrist, instead of Christ. This guy's going to be a slick politician. He's going to have a mouth on him. He's going to be able to pull the nations together and work out deals. He's going to be likable. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 14 says, For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade around as ministers of righteousness. Did you hear that? Satan's like an angel of light, so it's not where you're looking at this guy and go, man, this guy must be the best thing on earth. Why is that? It's the amp is dying. Praise the Lord. I want a new one. (laughs) That thing's horrible. (laughs) But it's not surprising then that if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness... Their end will be what their actions deserve. He's called in scripture by several names. The abomination that causes desolation. The man of sin. The son of perdition. The beast. The lawless one. The bloody and deceitful man. The wicked one. The enemy. The adversary. The violent man. And many more. Only by John is he called the Antichrist in in. Uh, in uh, in his uh, first second John, in those two books, and John doesn't even use that term here in Revelation. He's referred to mostly as the beast or the man of sin and these types of things. So, but it's just our popular culture. That's why we what we call him. Probably because it makes the most sense. But number three, one of the heads. I mean, verse three, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but that fatal wound had been healed. Might need to start the recording over again there. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast, and people worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they all worshipped the beast and asked, Who's like the beast? Who's able to wage war against this guy? This event, whatever it is, is going to draw people to worship this guy and indirectly worship Satan. And many believe... And it kind of makes sense from Zechariah and some other places that this guy might have been assassinated in some way. 
And could you imagine someone who dies and comes back to life? People would be like, oh my goodness. Who is this guy? And he's a political leader? Who can make war with this guy? I mean, he can't be killed. How awesome. I want to be on his team. Very interesting. Mimicking whom? Jesus Christ. So indirectly or directly, they're going to worship this dragon. And he will seem invincible. A hero of sorts, you know, the guy who keeps getting blown up and keeps coming back. Able to conquer death, and the world sees it. And what's really interesting, is this what the Jews in Jesus' day, they were looking for. They were looking for that hero to come solve their problems. To come take over Rome, to make things right. To rule, to be a military leader, come in and crush them. They're looking for this guy, and sadly, still today, the stage is set. The Jews are still looking for someone to bring peace to that land. They're awaiting their Messiah. The Muslims are waiting for their imam. The Christians are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. That's a big section of the world, my friends. The Hindus still worship anything. So instead of Christ, this guy will begin to draw worship towards himself and the dragon, which has always been Satan's desire. He wants to draw worship away from God and towards him. If you aren't worshiping God, you're worshiping the enemy. You might not think so, but Jesus said, hey, you're either for me or against me. You're on my side or his side. You can't worship, have two masters. I don't, you know, we're not Switzerland here. This doesn't happen. You're either, on, you're either his or you're not. He desires that you worship him. The enemy does. And he and he will put people and things in your path so that your affections will be taken away from Jesus. Put on a man, directly or indirectly, you know? I mean, how many people fall away because we follow a person? You know, follow Christ. Yes, Paul said, imitate me as I follow Christ, but the, the focus is always Jesus Christ. He needs to be lifted up. He needs to be honored. When we start putting our hope in a politician, oh, look out. Putting our hope in a religious leader, look out. Jesus is our only hope, friends. And the enemy seeks to divert worship away from him, attention to everything else. He's a master at it. The spirit of Antichrist, according to John in this world, is now the denial of the Messiah, the denial that he came in the flesh. I mean, we just read through First and Second John. And the beast, verse 5, was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months, three and a half years. Verse 6, it opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and its dwelling place and those who live in heaven. They're an interesting term, and those who live in heaven. Could that mean the angels? Maybe. Or past saints? Probably. Maybe. You know? What about the church? Those are suddenly out of there. Blaspheming them. Hey, you know what? Those turkeys. Verse 7, it was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. 
Now, many of our brothers and sisters in the Lord believe that the church will still be on the earth during this age. We've got a problem. The beast will be given power to wage war against the saints and overcome them. I'm sorry, I read a little something a little different in Matthew 16, where it says, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by your Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So these are those who come to faith in Christ, I believe, during, during the tribulation period. They are going to be martyred. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. And inhabitants of all the earth will worship the beast. And all those names who have not been written in the, book of the, uh, in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain for the creation of the world, if their name isn't written in the book of life, not good. So those names who are not written in the Lamb's book of life at this time will worship the beast. Why? Because they're his. You're either in the book or you aren't. You either accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior or you haven't. You know, and the question is, have you received Jesus as your Savior? Have you accepted His forgiveness? His free gift. You know, there's, there's no other way. There's absolutely no other way. Your name is written in the book by Him or it isn't. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Not through Muhammad not through self-help, not through 12 steps. You can't... Some of those things are valuable, the 12-step program, I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying it doesn't make us right with God. Not by going to church every single day of your life. There isn't a big old scale at the end of time that says, God, oh, you went to church 187 times, and okay, I'll let you in. No. It's only the blood of Jesus. Now, does it mean you should go to church? Heck yeah, you should be at church. Why? Because you love Him. Because you're devoted to the Lord. You're devoted to His people and His cause and what He's doing. And they mean He wants to distract us from that and pull us in every other direction. In the name of family or whatever else it is. We'll get on that this summer. Well, no one's here. You can't get to the Father by your good works. You can't get to the Father by your religious devotion. You can't get to the Father through Islam and Buddhism. Like I said, going to church every Sunday. Your access to eternal life, to the Father, is through one person and one person only, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's who we preach here. That's what it's all about. Bend your knee to him this morning. Surrender your heart. I don't care how long you've been going to church or how short you've been going to church. It's not about all that. It's about Jesus. Bend your knee. Surrender your life, your sin. 
Lay it down on him. God, this is who I am through and through. You know me. Your sin, your pain. These are the things I struggle with, God. I lay them down at you, to your feet, you know, your pride. God, I struggle with this pride. Your failures, your successes, your dreams, your relationships, you lay them all at the cross of Christ. Everything you are. For whoever desires to keep their life will lose it. If you want to have life and you hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake, for the Gospels, you're going to keep it. You're going to have life. It's the upside down kingdom, friends. Some of us have been holding on to our lives. Lord says, keep holding. You're going to lose it. I want you to let it go. Let me have you. But that means I might not have the friends. Yes, it might mean you not have the friends. It might mean you die young. Yes, it might mean you die, die young. It means you're miserable for a while. Yes, that might mean you're miserable for a while. It might mean that you get persecuted and die. I'm giving you the worst case scenarios because the rest of the, the uh, you know, it seems like the world they preach the gospel is come to Jesus and you'll get millions of dollars and, you know, and everything will be wonderful. You wonder why we're praying so much. You wonder why we're so sick. You wonder why we're hurting. Because we have a real adversary. We have real sin going on in our lives. This is not our home. And if you're living for now, bad news. It's going to go. We're living for eternity, friends. And we look around at us and we see people who are hurting. I've been one. Oh, how we want them to know him, to know eternal life, to know that they can be forgiven and lifted and come with us. And though you're hurting, we see through eyes of faith, not through our present circumstances. It's the journey we're on. Ask, if you haven't done that, ask the Lord, forgive me, God, I'm a sinner. Cleanse me. Take me. I'm yours, you know? In your heart's the Lord right now. And he will save you because he said he would. Verse 9, whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is, going, is, is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. And this calls for patience, patient endurance, and faithfulness on part of God's people. You reject the Antichrist, you reject the enemy, expect to be persecuted. Now we are introduced to the second beast, and I will try to blow through the second beast in six minutes. Because I don't really care about him too much. It's the false prophet. The first beast, the Antichrist, will be more of a political leader, while the false prophet here, the second beast, is going to be more of a religious one. You've got these tandem guys here working together. Verse 11, Then I saw the second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs even causing fire to come down from heaven so everybody can see it. Verse 14, because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. And the verse that pops into my mind is a wicked and adulterous generation seeks signs. And these people who are longing 
for these things to see. Not that we don't want God to work miracles in our midst. I'm longing for God to do whatever he wants. But if that is the only thing we're seeking after, then guess what? These people will be deceived. Wow, look at all the things they're doing. Yay! And boy, the age of entertainment, the age of mysticism, the age of sleight of hand or whatever it is that we're kind of into, just going to be go everybody's going to be going crazy. So this person will be given Satan's power. If we think that Satan can't do actual supernatural signs, we are fooled. Remember Deuteronomy 13 talks about false prophets. As a false prophet comes to you and he says some prophecy and it comes about, or if he works signs and wonders and they actually happen, but he leads you away from the Lord your God, do not trust him. Remember Moses? Moses threw down the snake. Come on, Charleston Heston, everybody. <laughs> threw down the snake. What did the other actors do? They threw down the snake and did the same thing. That was real. That was not sleight of hand. He turned the water into blood. The magicians turned the water into blood. They can only go so far, but there are real powers of the enemy. When God says, don't go contact the dead, he means it. Does it mean you can? Probably. We saw Saul do it. But he doesn't want you to do that. Don't mess with it. You're messing in the realm of demonic stuff. Oh, but they said something about me that only I and this person would know. What do you think demons are hanging? It just shows our lack of understanding of spiritual things. Think that this, just because the, the enemy, it's like, you know, he knows what we're doing. He knows our past. He knows our relatives. He knows circumstances. He knows what you do in the dark. He studies you. Seeks to destroy you, right? The enemy can work fault, can work enemies. Stay away from these things. Stay away from fortune telling. Stay away from astrology. Not astronomy, astrology. And psychics and all this type of stuff. This is contrary to what God wants for us. We're, we should stay away from that stuff. And it ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Verse 15, the second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. This is probably referring to the abomination that causes desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. When uh, the beast goes into the temple, this declares himself as God and to be worshipped, and there's an image set in there, up there of him, and who knows whether this thing is an automatron or whether it's really, you know, can speak. But remember in the Old Testament, uh, the, uh, the prophets were constantly telling him, hey, stop worshipping stuff that cannot talk, that cannot, you know, do anything, can't do anything. You're worshipping sticks and stones. What are you doing? Well, this thing's going to be pretty cool. Even more deceitful. And it also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on the forehead so that they could, buy or, they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast. Under the government of the beast and the false prophet, all are going to be given a mark. And without the mark, you're not going to be able to participate in that economy. This mark will be given on the right hand or on the forehead. Why is this? Well, there's a couple possibilities. I don't want to go into a bunch of detail because we really don't know. 
But there's a possible physical description of the Antichrist in Zechariah chapter 11. And I believe this is. Uh, in, in, in verse 15, I'll read it to you. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care about the, for the lost, or seek the young, or heal the injured, or, feel the hel- uh, or uh, feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the Lord strike his arm and his right eye, and may his arm become completely withered and his right eye totally blind. And so it's very possible that the reason why uh, people take a a mark on their forehead and a mark on their arms to identify with this person. Now, what will the mark be? I specifically have knowledge of this, and I will give it to you now. <laughs> I don't know. You know, are they going to take our heads and, you know, I don't know. At the supermarket, are they going to put a, you know, barcode on our forehead? But don't you know, Matt, that the, the three little lines on it is 666. This has got to be it. Okay, maybe. Micro, microchips. The technology's there. Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be an identifier. You're going to identify with this, this being. People are going to identify with him. I'm praying we're out of here. Just in case we're wrong and Matt's theology is off, do not take the mark. We laugh now, but how long can you go without having a sandwich? Right? I'm telling you. How many of you fast? Not me. I'm just, I'm just saying. How, how many of you fast? How many of you like to watch your little kids fast for days upon days? Your grandchildren, people you love. But if I just take this mark, then everything is going to be hunky-dory. It says in a couple chapters here, it says that if you take the mark, there's no way that you can ever be saved. You want to know how you could lose your salvation is by taking the mark of the beast. That's a very heavy, deep thing. And it says it right there, I think in 16 or somewhere. I don't know. I was reading it last night. I should have wrote it down. This calls for wisdom. Let the person... Who is insight, calculate the number of the beast, for that is the number of man, the number 666. So does this tell us by figuring out the numerical value of the name and all that stuff? I don't know. Because in the old, you know, you take a letter and you ascribe a number to it. So Henry Kissinger or, you know, Barack Obama or someone's, come on. I have no idea. I don't know. And it says, who has wisdom and understanding? Obviously, I don't have it. It's probably in there. But my guess is that the Lord's number kind of is, is usually 777 or 888. You know, I'm just saying it's the number of man. It falls short of God's perfection. It's an imitation. And it's not the real deal. We don't want to live for the enemy. My question is to you, just hypothetically, 
would you take the mark? So if those of you said no, I will not take the mark, mean you're, you're declaring that you will die for Jesus Christ. My challenge to you today is will you live for him today? Let's pray. Father, we're reading about these uh, the beasts. We're about the dragon and the beast and the false prophet, Lord. And Lord, I want nothing to do with them. I want our, our, our flock here to have nothing to do with him or the spirit that is at work, which is in the world, which is Antichrist. The things that would cause us to deny you and not live for you. Father, I know we're kind of like Peter. We say, I would die for you. I'd go to the cross. I'd do anything for you. But when push comes to shove, Peter was shown what was really in his heart. Lord, work that work of grace in us that we wouldn't rely upon our own strength, but we would rely upon your spirit daily and cling to you. This world is not going to get better until your foot touches down. Lord, we ask that your grace would be upon us, that you'd not allow the enemy to take the word which is given in our hearts this morning, and that we would live for you. We would lay down everything that would cause us to go to the left or to the right, that would pull us from your kingdom, from your life and your world. Work in the hearts of your people. Work in my heart, Lord Jesus. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.